This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with James Pratt, who is 2022's Best Hollywood Actor. As in, he's won awards in acting from the LA Film Awards Best Actor to Best Director at the Cannes Festival and plenty of other things as well. And when he was in Australia, which we'll get to in a minute, he won top five under 35 in Australia in 2019. So he's been on quite the journey. So James, thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. Michael, thank you very much for for having me and, and thanks very much for that nice introduction. So your history started quite a long time ago. So I'd be curious as to what you did before acting. Paint that story for us. Uh, picture a quite restless teenager. Um, him and his friends basically in high school just played pranks. Uh, there was, I, I understand now why my parents may have been concerned when I finished high school because <laughs> uh literally uh high school my friends and i all we did was surf or just play jokes um and it was it was that kind of point where as soon as i finished high school that was when i went to acting school and my my parents also said i had to had to have another job so i studied real estate at the same time would you say they actually believed in you then when they were thinking okay you need a safety net here in case the acting doesn't come off i i think they were thinking look Australia is very, very small as a film industry. Um, so maybe just hedging their bets that uh, just having a backup plan in real estate. And and, and in hindsight, it was a really great thing too. Uh, but it was, yeah, I mean, it's a small industry in Australia. And I think that's where their, their heads were at, at the time. You actually competed in surfing, didn't you, as well? Like you weren't just a hobbyist. Yeah, I think that's probably where... <laughs> um, where a lot of my time spent being late for school was uh, surfing in the morning. Uh, but yeah, there was a, I had a bit of a role, I would say, where I did surfing competitions up till about 17, even 18. Um, but when you hit that point, when you're about 17, 18, I mean, you really have to kind of live and breathe it to take that jump to get on the qualifying tour, or you kind of have to then look at something else. It's, it's quite a big gap between competitions and being an adult and being an adult and you know living off it is it a young sport is that how you would describe it because one of the sports i used to play and coach was actually tennis and it's very very similar as in unless you're good enough to go on tour when you're 16 14 you're probably not going to make it there are people that would win let's say junior wimbledon because it does exist for those that don't know even if you win that, you still might not come off very, very high in the adult rankings because the jump is just so big. What's surfing like in terms of the the leap and how good you would need to be? I think, it, well, look, it because it, I still love surfing to this day, but um, from from everything I know and the people that, you know, compete on tour that I speak to, it, it's come leaps and bounds from when I was doing sort of some competitions. So, You'd really be surprised. Like to give you an idea, I mean, I, I went on a, a surf trip recently um, to Indonesia, and we pulled up at this spot to surf, and there was the Billabong team, which was the like a younger group of the Billabong team, like in development, and there was kids there that was like 12, 13 years old, charging like eight foot waves, and wow. they were there sponsored by Billabong, and it was this thing where it's like Billabong are investing now in kids at you know younger than twelve. 
um, on the assumption that if they keep, you know, performing the way they're performing by the time they turn 18, 19, they're going to have a real shot. So the development's just unbelievable now. Uh, and you'd, again, like you'd be surprised, obviously, that if, if someone like with soccer, you know, you hear it especially in the UK, like if, if someone shows potential as a soccer player, at, you know, in primary school, you know, there's already scouts saying, well, you know, at this trajectory, he can end up at Manchester United or he could end up here. So it's it's a similar thing. I just probably wouldn't put it on the the same scale as, say, soccer or, or some of the other sports. What drew you to acting? Was it you just wanted to do something? There's, there's a lot of, um, I guess, humour around. A lot of people that get into business, they get into business because they don't really know what else to do with their life so they're in the business if they learn how to sell and they learn how to run a business then they always have that as as an option for people that don't really know what to do with their future <laughs> what's the kind of impression that you would get from someone that said okay i'm going to go to acting school why would you choose that you know it's a great question in hollywood if you i'm, I'm sort of having a bit of a laugh amongst myself because uh everyone in los angeles wants to be an actor but but for a different reason. Sometimes it's to be famous. Sometimes it's sort of to, to kind of impress someone. Sometimes it's because they technically don't want to get a day job. Uh, but for me, I think, you know, the thing was is I, I just love telling stories. I love writing and, and directing. And for the, the kind of the process that I think gets the best out of me is, is in the film industry. Um, like I said, I think, you know, maybe perhaps why I was probably a little restless in high school was, was just because I was a little bit bored of uh, less creativity. Um, but maybe I was also very immature, so we'll see. <laughs> it actually makes me think that if you're multi-passionate or you've got lots of things that you want to do or you in air quotes get bored easy, then you need something that's challenging enough that it can almost subsidize that you know where you've got the energy you've got the commitment you've got the focus to something that you really wanted to do that makes me think that you must have had a good idea on what you wanted to do or at least what you didn't want to do how did you approach the crossroads of that where you had to decide one way or another well i think i think it's in that you as you grow up and you start learning about what sort of personality trait you have um you know i'm always amazed by you know, there is in business, you know, just being a little more serious, but in business, you know, there is people that are exceptionally good at business when they have structure. Um, but if they're their own boss and they have their own business, meaning they're not the employee, they kind of fall apart because they sort of need someone to say, this is the, the Monday meeting and this is the Tuesday KPIs and this is the Wednesday meeting and kind of all laid out for them. And I think you know, once you kind of finish high school, uh, and I was, you know, going to to university um, and and acting school at the same time, I think you sort of realise that, you know, I, I get the best out of myself when I've got a little bit of freedom rather than the, the sort of structure. Um, and I think that was great to sort of recognise early on, rather than, you know, get to sort of like my let's say my mid twenties and and realise why am I so unhappy? It's because I'm sort of hitting my head against the wall. So I think it's just recognising like. How do you like to operate, but also how do you get the best out of uh, yourself in certain situations or certain work environments? It's interesting you bring up Hollywood acting and then business as well, and it's very business orientated. I'd be very curious to hear what are some of the things that the public generally 
doesn't know or doesn't understand or thinks doesn't happen when it does is there any behind the scenes this is how it really happens even when we have no idea what's going on how deep does all of this misconception and people just don't know what they don't know when it comes to acting in hollywood you know we we could dive really deep here because there's there's so many different things um I mean, look, just some some things I think you might find interesting, but, you know, some people uh, always have that question, is the amount of business that is put into, say, an actor and an actor around them, their team, to make sure that they stay a brand is, is phenomenal. Um, there's a very famous actress who was on a hit TV show, you know, early 2000s, and she sort of went from that TV show and she stayed, a, she stayed a star, you know, like Nicole Kidman's level, not Nicole Kidman, but Nicole Kidman's level. She stayed a star for you know, 18, 19 years. And, you know, people say, oh, how did she do that? Oh, she just picked the right movies or she this. The, the interesting thing is what really goes on is when you, when you are kind of on the rise, your agent does things in the contract. Like you can't cast another female more good looking than, than the act. You can't cast someone younger in this particular film that's going to be more good looking. Uh, Sometimes it gets as petty as, look, you know, this client who's the lead actress or actor, uh, you know, is, let's just say they're five foot ten. No one can be taller than them because then that makes them not that brand afterwards. So there's a lot of strategic placement that gets done around a film often to keep that person either the young, hot, sexy kind of, you know, up-and-coming actor or a lot of things get done so that the audience kind of feels like, wow, that person's the hero no matter what. Um, so it's it's a lot of in that brand. The, the other thing too, which you have to remember is I think a lot of people say, oh, like, I don't know why they keep using that person in a movie. Like they're so terrible or um, their movie was terrible. The last one is the really interesting thing about Hollywood is star power doesn't really have a value in other industries. Uh, like, for example, you know, if, if you worked in the insurance business or even advertising, like star power doesn't really cut through like it does in TV and film. So by that, I mean, you can have an actor that's done two terrible films, but those two films were studio films and had, let's just say, $50 million worth of publicity on them combined. So that one actor or actress technically has got $50 million worth of advertising on them. So if someone says, hey, do we want to green light this new film? Let's go for someone completely unknown. And if the movie flops, it'll be like, you know, it'll be hard to market. Or let's cast this person that's not a good actor that no one seems to really like, but people know who they are. And that way, if the film does, you know, not do well at all at the box office, at least there's going to be a a percentage of people that will see the film regardless. Media will pick up more advertising because they're like, oh, hey, so-and-so from their last film that was terrible is doing a new film. So that actual star power actually does give you some sort of leverage. And that's why, you know, that's why often you see really terrible casting choices where you see an actor that's too young to play the role is given the role or an actor, you know, to go as far as to say an actor who's not good enough to play that role, get it, because they have a star power from something before them, um, which is, you know, again, phenomenal to think how much that sort of controls the the finance. It must be crazy to think that, let's say, an actor like The Rock gets cast for something and then in the contract it says you're not allowed to cast anyone that's the same size or same build or as, as big as him because his brand, per se, is he's this 
fairly tall, muscular guy. It seems weird that they would do it in that way when his brand is so strong. So is there an element of they do it anyway, even if they probably wouldn't have any interest in casting someone who's younger, more good looking, whatever the case is, even if that is who they are? Do they just do that as a bit of a clause so that they guarantee it a bit more? Is there more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not not kind of prevy on The Rock because he kind of seems like he could kick anyone's ass. <laughs> uh, so I think I think he's okay. I think where you find it is you find it when you have a, you have someone that has a specific brand about them. And and if you think about actors, are they the really good looking actor? Are they the action hero, the tough guy? Are they the um, you know the let's just hypothetically put the good looking older mum? Like whatever their brand is that's when you sort of see the business side sort of come out and want to protect that. But at the same time, the audience doesn't pick up on it because they just think, oh, well, like I remember hypothetically, you know, I remember this actor, this actor could kick everyone's ass no matter what. Um, so it's, it's sort of written in that particular way into the, the contract to make sure you protect that, that particular brand. And obviously agents in Hollywood are phenomenal. I mean, they, they're very, very good because they're not just going to go, oh, I'm so pleased you're using my client. Thank you very much. They're going to say, well, look, if you want my client, you need to use two of my other clients so they get three commissions out of it. Or I'm going to leverage my, you know, you can use my lead client, but they have to be a producer on it. And being a producer will give them final cut of the film. So they're very, very good at business. And that's where, um, yeah, I mean, look, it sometimes looks like it's red carpets and it's all fun. But behind the scenes, there's some, like I said, there's some very, very smart people. Usually, you know, they've had some sort of education or they've got a lawyer background, um, you know, pulling pulling some great strings behind the scenes. It seems weird to think that it's baked into the contract, all of these things. When you're the public watching a film or you get the privilege of going to a red carpet or a premiere, that sort of thing. It's interesting thinking about it when it could be in the contracts and in the paperwork that impression that you would get so we use Dwayne again just because we're talking about him quite a bit I wouldn't think of him any other way as probably the biggest guy in the room it's interesting when the contract's written that way and that they're not allowed to go there I'm speaking hypothetical obviously hypothetically yeah might not have any other choice you know you cast him and think well we could really bring anybody in and no one's going to be the same um well i mean yeah yeah and i look i mean again this is all different levels but this is just a bit of an inside in the curtain i think the best way to look at it if you see a show where the guy takes his shirt off and he's got a six-pack there won't be another scene in the movie where another actor that's younger, more good looking, takes his shirt off and has a six pack because it's going to right. ruin the lead actor's six pack. Yeah. So it's 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 sort of that quality control where, um, you know, again, the business side of it, protecting the brand value of that actor, that that person, um, you know, is is quite a business too. You've been to quite a few red carpets, whether they be award events or premieres, that sort of thing. How much actually goes into it? Because I've run events myself, not at the same sort of red carpet level, but the amount of times I sit there afterwards and think, I should probably have planned this about six or 12 months before 
I actually did because there's so many moving parts, so much happens. There's no other way of doing it in a less stressful way than just starting it earlier. How do you manage all of it? How do you actually put together the events and get everyone to show up? And if you're one of the lead actors, I imagine a lot of it's done around you a little bit. You just sort of turn up and do your thing. But how much work goes into it? So usually, the, the I mean, depending on, this is another great question, um, you know, and this is probably not as hypothetical as, as actor contracts, but this is more a little bit to do with it. But generally speaking, whatever the budget of the film is, um, you've got to spend close to that on on marketing, or they call it P and A. So, uh, if you think about you make a movie um, like Mission Impossible, it's a it's a fantastic movie. It's shot brilliantly. I mean, everyone involved in there is at the very top of their game. But once it's shot, you then have to get it out there. We're talking billboards, we're talking press tours, we're talking internet, online, all this advertising and the premiere. So that's when you you do find that. If you see a film and it's got a, a really big, um, you know, really big press tour, or it's you know it's gone from Berlin to London to Sydney to to Hong Kong, they've got a lot of money on advertising. If it's a smaller film like an indie film, often it is, hey, they're going to have like a premiere, um, you know, where the film was made or or you know whichever was the major city. Thanks for coming, everyone. And then that's that's sort of the end of it. So that's a good indication of of sort of the budget of the film. Um, but also the 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 film will have like a publicist um, that organizes everything. And and that's the interesting thing because that's a job as well in itself, which I can only imagine would probably drive you to drinking because <laughs> the stress level of a of a film part, they've got to coordinate the demands of the guests you know like guests will have outrageous demands at times they have to organize all the obviously the marketing the red carpet the location who's 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 invited and the hardest thing is is they've also got to be the ones that say no so and so is not invited um which may be you know quite a someone of substantial sort of pull saying i really want to uh invite no i can't get you one what does that mean for the publicist down the track so they they do a exceptional job highly stressful uh and yeah you're absolutely right the longer you've got time to plan it the better the shorter um the more the more crazy and the more drinks they're gonna have <laughs> the more drinks they're gonna have i picture it being quite stressful when things don't go to plan or someone that thought they were invited ended up not getting the invite is it that political should we say i don't like using that word but is it that kind of relationship based and the conversation fencing that tends to happen where they say one thing to one person and they say something completely different to the next person because you're trying to get them to do the thing that you want them to do and say the thing that you want them to say universe yep. engineer but think, okay what do i have to tell this person well, if, if anyone, if any, if anyone is going to a premiere, and let's say, and I'm going to use this because I'm a massive fan of, you know, James Bond. Um, if anyone's going to a premiere and Daniel Craig is doing the 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 James Bonds, and they want to see him on the red carpet, generally how it works with the red carpet is the bigger the star or the star of the movie is the last one on the red carpet. So. That is something where you talk about, you know, obviously what are some of the stresses they might have. It's coordinating that because obviously 
you know, let's just say you're invited, you're not part of the film, you might kind of be told, look, you know, the red carpet's from six o'clock till 6.30 and, you know, you need to come around five past six, you know, and that person then says, no, I want to be seen with Daniel Craig. That'll do my career like amazing things. I'm going to wait for him to come on. Yeah. So yeah. that's like another another thing that goes on behind the scenes. So if anyone wonders like, oh, do they kind of just show up and walk on uh, or they're trying to find their their favourite star? The, the last part, like obviously, you know, 629 would be when Daniel Craig would come on or 628 um, because it's the biggest build-up. And at the same time, it's almost for the, you know, for the photographers. It's like if they've already got James Bond at 6 o'clock, they're not going to kind of want to stick around till 6.30 and have, let's just say, the lesser, um, you yeah. know, D-grade stars, mm-hmm. uh, you know. That must be manic. That must be mega. Like, can you imagine having James Bond turn up two minutes or one minute until the, the red carpet finishes? The limousines are going to come flying in. Like, and I mean, you're going to have someone every 10 or 20 seconds getting out of a car to be the one that happens just before James Bond gets out. And then if you're late, let's say you come after him, you might not even get a picture at all. So you would have this, how much risk are you prepared to take getting there late when you might not get any pictures taken, any photo ops at all, or if you go early, you might end up, you know, without any photographers anyway, because they're all waiting for for the star to turn up. And this is something as simple as getting out of a car onto the red carpet when there's thousands, <laughs> tens of thousands, potentially millions of people watching at home, and all you're doing is getting out of a car onto a red carpet wearing a suit that you probably had ready about a month or two before. It's probably been like in a frame somewhere waiting for you to wear it for that one moment when you get out on the carpet. Yeah, it's very very mechanical. Yeah, it's very mechanical. And and I know that, uh, you know, for for me, I I just love filmmaking. So I'm not like, oh, my God, like the red carpet is is my biggest thing. I, I can take it or leave it. I'm not really a thing of it. But I, I know that if you are someone that obviously loves that that side of things, the preparation, it can be longer than three weeks. You were talking about, you know, the, the get the suit. It's like, you know, uh, actors and uh, like, you know, whoever they are, you know, there's the idea of what colours the, the media wall going to be behind me. What's the weather going to be like? Who's in front of me? I don't want to go in front of someone that's going to have all the attention. Uh, all these questions get asked leading up and sometimes weeks and weeks um, all four technically 30 seconds on the red carpet. Um, so my advice to anyone that's that's going on the red carpet, just yeah, take it or leave it. It'll there'll be another one. Um, and anyone that's watching, yeah, if you're waiting for your star, they're not gonna come straight up. They're gonna be they're gonna be more once the momentum and the big climax of, you know, where is James Bond uh, at the end. So what advice would you have for actors and actresses that want to get in the industry they want to get their big feature film whether there's a a a-list actor on there or not how would you advise people navigate this world that it seems like it's very mechanical structured everything's behind the scenes to try and make everybody happy and even make some people unhappy on purpose intentionally (laughs) how would someone even navigate this I, look, if you're 
hardworking and good at what you do, you'll keep getting work. And and work like the thing is, is that we talk about the business side of Hollywood. If you're working, that kind of plows through all the, you know, all the problems, meaning you book one job, it's almost for your agent or your manager, it's twice as easy now for them to book you another job because they can say, look, you know, this person now is, is working over at Fox, you know, do you want to get him before someone else does? Um, everything you do sort of builds up. And I think where the, the distractions fall apart is the better you do in the industry, the more people want to take a bite out of you. And I had a, a great conversation with this um, very, very successful musician, um, it would have been maybe April uh, this year. Um, great, great conversation. I wasn't expecting because his his persona in the media is is very much like you know he's a kind of a crazy uh, rock star, right. and he had a great great story. He was talking about where there was someone else who was growing up at the same time as him. They both signed for the same record label, both were playing out of the Viper Room, and this other guy was always just a, ahead of him. And it was as they started to get to that point where, hey, you know what, like these people are going to pay you this much to make a record. The other person just kind of folded with all the distractions. Um, and he was like, you know, my same work ethic has always been the same. Like, you know, I'm going to put every single thing I have into whatever record I'm doing. And then I'm going to be, you know, this other person. But I think the interesting thing is, is you talk about, um, you know, how can you make it in the industry? I think when you get that first role, a little bit of you will then get more distractions, whether it be you might get a few extra people saying, oh, hey, like, you know, why don't we hang out now? Because now you're you're this, you know, you're this actor or you're this producer. And every time you sort of move up, more and more sort of people will start to take a bite. And I think the thing to remember is that it doesn't just all happen at once. Like all of a sudden, everyone wants to take a bite of you. Um, it's as you start working in the industry, more and more distractions sort of come. And you, you need to remember, like, why are you doing it and what's your ultimate goal just so that you're not like this guy I was talking about with this musician where you're not suddenly completely off the track and realising you're actually doing what you wanted to do. Um, so that's a bit of a sort of a roundhouse story. Is it about trying to mitigate the downside then like you mentioned distractions people wanting to collaborate with you get on a film with you since you were in this other big movie with this other rock star whoever it happens to be is it that basic where you've almost got to stick to what you want to do stay true to yourself and everything else is falling away it no longer matters it's no longer important but then if you're the person that's chasing you're kind of hoping for someone to essentially fold and say yes we'll we'll do it together we'll do this we'll do that which then it only encourages the work ethic encourages the person to keep going and keep pushing when we're kind of encouraging people to start saying no to things, aren't we, James? If you think about it, we're encouraging them to say no, stick to their guns, stick to doing what they want to do, while there are going to be people out there that aren't going to take this advice, that are going to see it as, well, I just need to keep pushing then, i just got to work harder. Someone will say yes eventually, that sort of thing. Is that not a little dangerous to advise one way or the other? Because you're contributing to them overworking themselves, or there's going to be so many people saying no and more people should realistically say yes because we're actually going to try and cut off this cycle of 
work until you drop, constantly being told no, that sort of thing. Is it one way or the other? Or is there a healthy way of saying someone, no, sorry, we're not going to do this? And also a healthy way for them to take it and not turn it into something that's actually potentially ruined their career by trying to help someone else's but potentially ruin somebody else's. Yeah, I think, and I think to sort of sum up what you're sort of driving at is um, absolutely because I, I think the distractions are the things that are taking away from your goal. Um, you know, if if you're a, hypothetically a, a musician, you start doing very well. Uh, you need to make an album, but then everyone's saying, oh, you know, you know, let's fly to Mexico. This is what rock stars do. And then someone else is saying, you know what, I think you should start a Red Bull company uh, because you know what, like you've got to be an entrepreneur now. You've got to be a businessman. And then a month later, it's like, have you been writing any songs? Have you been, you know, doing what you moved to California to do? And yeah. it's, you know, it's that thing where I think people think, oh, well, it's, that only happens once you get to Tom Cruise's level. That's when everyone tries to pull you in direction. You'd be really surprised. I mean, it's, you know, especially with social media, the, the number of times you see someone who was, let's say, a very talented actor goes from posting about their favourite Academy Award or, or they're writing a script to now talking about, you know, hey, look at my my influencer girlfriend and I'm I'm deciding I want to be a, you know, a mogul right now. And it's, it's that thing where it's like, well, to be successful at acting, you still have to work hard, even if you get given some lucky breaks. Like you've got to learn your lines, you've got to stay in shape, you've got to be really good at obviously performing when it's uncomfortable. Uh, and, and you've got to show people you're serious too because obviously that's the other thing. Like, you know, when a major studio like Warner Brothers hires someone, um, you know, they don't just go, oh, you did a great audition. They do look at your social media. They do kind of look at obviously who are they hiring uh, if they're going to be investing a lot of publicity into into that TV show or that movie. I, I do actually think that it's going to get harder, isn't it? And a lot of the um, common wisdom, I guess, is about sticking to what you want to do and only go down the directions that you want to go down. And it comes with learning to say no quite a lot. You've got to learn to say no, how to say it nicely without just ignoring people all the time and I guess in a way you've got to I would assume James say yes to everything at first and then when you start hitting your limits when you start hitting your upper limit of what you can handle what your work rate can manage healthily without obviously burning out and really suffering then you're going to have to dial it back I guess is that something that you would advise like say yes to everything at the beginning because you never know when the next one's going to come along it might never come along at all or do you advise sticking to what it is straight away saying no to everything even if you might end up doing that from the beginning and potentially not have anything on your plate aside from the acting and things and I guess if that's all you really want to do then I can't really see much issue with that yeah, I mean, I think we can dive really deep <laughs> into this one because I know there's things I would have done differently um, and the, the big change has been, the really big change has been as soon as the streaming services came in, you know, like Netflix and Stan and Hulu and HBO, the game in Hollywood has changed dramatically because it used to just be, you know, you could do an indie film, 
or you could do a studio film such as, you know, it came out at Warner Brothers at the cinema. Um, now it's very much like the stuff that comes out of the cinema is, you know, Aquaman, it's, it's tentpole movies, James Bond and Netflix and Hulu and these streaming services. They have the sort of the more indie films, you know, films that are shot under three and a half million. And what's that, what that has meant is it's meant that a lot more people now, regardless, writer, director, producer, can do an independent film, let's just say, like I said, you know, smaller budget, even under a million dollars. And it's still going to get a level of notoriety by getting on a streaming service, which before was just unheard of. It's like you either got in with the studio or you kind of did a movie which was great and it went the film festival circuit, but you still kind of were kind of like, you know, wanting to get your your kind of your supper, meaning you'd have to maybe really work another job. Um, so things are, I would say right now, there's a really great opportunity for, for actors, but my advice is, Working smarter, not harder. So when you do decide, listen, this is what I want to do as a career, I think the best thing to do is to get advice. First of all, how did the person who's in the position you want, how did they get there? And one of the things that I always talk about, if you look at an actor, there's often a different route than you're going to take, but there's often something that obviously does help them, which is they've either done a feature film or they've done a TV series, which has kind of propelled them away from doing just short films. Meaning if you're wanting to get started in the industry and people take you seriously, rather than saying, look, I'm gonna do a hundred short films. My advice is, look, short films are great, but if it's like a you know a Toyota Camry versus a Mercedes, if you can get onto a feature film, that like a good feature film will propel you more than you know, 20, 30 short films. Because like a casting agent, producer will go, wow, like it's a bigger budget. It's more responsibility. It's probably got, you know, name actors or, or director. So it's that working smarter, not harder. So thinking, okay. And that's often if you trace back actors right before they hit it, they played a lead role in a feature film right before their star power just took off. Uh, Russell Crowe did Romper Stomper. Um, if you look at Hugh Jackman, he did an Australian film called Erskineville Kings. Uh, Colin Farrell did this movie called Tigerland. Um, and these were very, very independent films, but they're feature films. And they suddenly got this actor on the radar and then they went up again. <clears throat> so my, my sort of advice would be, I think if you wanted to, to really make it working smarter, not harder, recognizing the value. How much does a short film give you? It gives you content, great. You've done a couple of short films. Okay, but I need now to be... You know, I can't just keep adding on to my showreel. I need to try and get something that'll get me in the door. TV series, guest role, if I can't get the lead role. Feature film. Feature film will really get someone taking you more seriously. So just trying to get there rather than just, you know, 50 student films in one year, one feature film would be better. So is it a case of you've got to get to a particular level before people start taking you seriously as, as an actor? Is there a certain level where it's like, oh, right, okay, things are now starting to be serious. I'm no longer just doing this for peanuts while I'm working three extra jobs kind of thing. What level do you suggest people get to where they start to think, okay, maybe acting is the thing that I can do on its own to start with but that then becomes the entry point to everything else so we'll bring up um 
Dwayne's doing is, is Zoa, his partnership with Under Armour, that sort of thing. I'm sure you've got things in the pipeline for yourself where acting is the stepping stone to other things rather than doing acting alongside other things, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and just to kind of start at the very, um, because it's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, I wish I could take credit for this, but um, a, a talent manager called Trisanne Marin actually told me this a long time ago. And she was saying this as a talent manager so that people could see it from her perspective, which is how do you climb up in the industry? Like, obviously you have an agent or a manager. Uh, that's how you get work. But she put it like this, the more tools that the actor can give their manager, the higher percentage opportunities or the higher chance of getting a, a better opportunity they're going to have. So an example would be like we we're just sort of saying, let's say an actor has a manager and they've updated their show reel with a, a student film. Their manager's got one tool in the toolbox. It's probably not going to get a meeting at Warner Brothers unless that short film won Sundance. Like it's one of thousands and thousands of short films. But then the actor suddenly says, you know what? I've, land, I've been auditioning, auditioning, auditioning. I've got a guest role on uh, How I Met Your Mother, you know, if that was still going. Now they have two tools in the toolbox, but one of them is a CBS show. And now the, age, the manager's like, you know what? With this, I can actually knock on the door a bit more and actually people will take it seriously. Then, you know, let's just say it's a, it's a one-liner in a Robert De Niro feature film. Okay, the, the, the talent manager goes, look, I've got three tools in my toolbox and this Robert De Niro thing saying you've just done a film with Robert De Niro and you have line in it, that's going to get the people that cast proper things. When I say proper, I'm talking, you know, like your big picture stuff. That's going to get them to go, yeah, why don't we bring this guy or this girl in for a chat? Uh, this is, And so it's that idea of moving up. The more tools you can obviously have in your toolbox, the higher percentage chance you've got. Because, you you know, like we keep going back to it, it is a business too. And there will be questions raised if they're shooting Aquaman 3 and suddenly, you know, the supporting lead role goes to a complete unknown. Someone's going to go, well, why did that person get it? You know, is there some foul play going on behind the scenes? Do they like that person because... That's a lot of money. That's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of money to risk on someone that, so if you can say, look, they've done a, a Robert De Niro movie, you know, they were great in, in How I Met Your Mother, CBS loves them, um, you've got a, a lot higher chance. And then to kind of answer your other question, just with obviously how do you go from just being, let's say, in the entertainment industry to turning it into a brand, I think that's a real evolution of just how business people are getting more and more confident and the power of having an audience. If you have you have an audience, doesn't matter if you're a professional basketball player, you know, if you can do a tweet and get 50,000 likes, that is very, very powerful because you could start your own, like you said, you know, your own gym, gym wear and you get a guaranteed 50,000 people every time you put up a product and that's worth something. So I think we're seeing that mixed with social media being relatively, you know, accessible, uh, really changing the game. Risk was actually the thing that I was thinking of just when you were describing things. It's almost like the more strings you have added to your bow, you're less risky. So it's not going to be a waste of money, not going to be a waste of time, energy, resources, whatever it is. 
if they invest in you as the actor because of your experience, because of the different things that you've done or you've been positioned in, that then makes them have more confidence in you purely because you're not as risky as if all you did was a a one-liner in a a short student film that was filmed on an iPhone kind of thing. (laughs) I think risk is what it comes down to. Am Am I right or am I wrong? You know, you're absolutely right because at the the end of the day, it all is about the bottom line, like how much money did the movie make? And if the movie was terrible and you have a no-name lead actor, then you've probably lost the whole budget. But if you have, and I'm throwing this out there, but, you know, if the movie was terrible and you had Owen Wilson as the lead, Owen Wilson still got millions of fans who are going to see that movie anyway. So the, the risk is so much less the mitigation um, that like we were going back to that earlier code, that's why you often see people get cast over and over again, even when you think, oh, I think someone could have been better at that uh, just because <laughs> of the risk factor. Is it just a popularity contest then? I mean, we're kind of beating around the bush here, James, but is it <laughs> just a popularity contest where you could be awful but popular and people will cast you purely because it's a business and more people will see it just because you're popular. You could be popular for the worst thing in the world. Like you could le- you could literally have big feet and that is all you've got and you're very popular. You'll get cast as a foot model or something and kind of be funny here, James, but it's not working. Uh, <laughs> well, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. Is it literally what it is? Like it's just a popularity contest and people are, as you said, taking a bite of this this apple from a financial perspective is this all it is yeah i think look let's be really honest here you said not beat around the bush uh the film industry is a business it's it's not you know red carpets and let's all just make movies and have fun and if they don't make money it doesn't matter we'll make it up on the next one uh you know people are lending these money this the money to get made and it's a little bit like a bank loan in the sense of they're going to say what, you know, if you if you get a mortgage, they're going to say, hey, show me your job or show me your, your tax returns or show me how much money you really make per five years. It's the same thing. It's if we put an actor in and they don't have a profile, what is the, the return? And, 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 you know, studios spend a lot of money on this too. Like it's not just about the actors. It's also about this director. Uh, it's going to be about obviously projecting. And, and the big thing to keep in mind too is that, everyone's sort of looking ahead, like a a movie gets made, uh, a feature film, it's probably not going to come out for one or two years on average. That's how long. So people look at it like, okay, well, if if we have this director uh, and his other film comes out halfway through shooting and he gets all this publicity and it's going to do a tour in Venice and it's going to be huge, then technically one of the questions at that premiere is going to be, oh, you know, we're really excited to see your next film. So people also look at it like that, like what have they got coming up or what have they just finished, which will kind of help kind of, I guess you could say, build momentum on, on this picture or this TV show. And, and that's the same thing, like if you notice, and that's a great thing about Hollywood is you can do a small role, like on a TV series that does very, very well, or, you know, like some of the actors that were on American Pie, they only kind of had one or two main scenes but then they got picked up on a TV show because the one or two main scenes went sort of mainstream. So it's just that thing of obviously what have you done before and what's coming up too, which which can really go in your favour um, and, yeah, not to be undervalued. Does it ever get tiring as someone that's 
can obviously speak about the industry from the outside in. I'm on the outside, you're on the inside. Does it ever get tiring when you know all of this and yet it still goes on and it doesn't necessarily change or improve or benefit people more than it used to, let's say, you know, when the things just keep repeating themselves? Does it ever get discouraging, tiring? Do you ever sit there and think, I need to change things? I need to take a bit more of an activist role and say, okay, we need to actually change how things are done? Well, it, it, it's still not, it, it, like this is obviously the, the business side. Um, it, it's still very, very accessible. I mean, it's, it's you know, like there is still pilot season or there's movies where, yeah, they, they pick a complete unknown. But the thing that I love about this is it's also you know, there's power and knowledge. So if, if you know this, it's a really good way so that, and I, I say this as a complete hypothetical, but, you know, there are writers and there's directors and there's actors and there's producers and it's been 10 years and they're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm still waiting for the phone to ring. I'm still waiting for my agent to get me it. I'm still waiting for someone to give me $6 million for my yeah. first film. Mm-hmm. And it's been 10 years. And And what I love about it is, Again, you you understand how it works so that you're not becoming one of these people who's jaded going, oh, I've auditioned and I've spent this much money on acting class and this much money on a writing class. I haven't got anywhere and I'm really embarrassed. It's like, just stop. Knowledge is power. Look how it works, you know, and it could be as simple as like I was saying, you know, a really simple thing I, I love to, to sort of my experience, what I've learned is, you know, right now you can make a feature film for $50,000. So if... Someone says to you, oh, look, you know, um, I want to make a short film. And they're thinking, look, you know, make it for $35,000, $40,000 for a short film. One of my first questions is, look, how far off are you from making a feature with it? Because a feature film will open up a lot more doors than a short film that perhaps doesn't even get into a festival. And the really exciting thing is you can't make a feature. 10 years ago, you couldn't make a, a feature film for $50,000 un- unless it was literally, you know, handheld um, and possibly a horror film, one that doesn't really have a lot of cinematic mechanics about it. But now it's like you can get a really high end, you know, C- C- C100, C300 or even a 5D for a couple of thousand dollars. Uh, you can shoot it and it will get on Netflix if it's good enough. And that's the idea of knowing, obviously, you know, what, what can I do that can get me ahead? There's opportunities. Um, and also just being aware, you know, it's it's a really fun ride. Like, um, I, I, you know, the highs are high and the lows are lows, but it's, 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 a fun, it's a fun career to be in. Knowledge is power is definitely probably one of the better ways to see it because you know the game that you're playing. It's so much better than some other industries where you literally have no real idea how it all works at least with hollywood you know the game you know what it is you know how it works you know no one's going to take a chance on you if you haven't done anything you've got to earn your stripes so to speak and you've actually got to put the work in it's almost like it's easier because of that it's not completely in the dark it's not completely unknown you all know you all know how it works you all know the game that you're playing that's probably better than a world where no one knows what's happening ever because it gives you a bit of control and i i love the idea of 
you know, being in an industry where you, you are rewarded, I, I will say this, I know it seems like it's it's a bit of a, but you know, you are rewarded, obviously good work is rewarded. You do a feature film and it gets into Sundance, you are going to get meetings with people that can make a difference, but you got to get there, meaning you can't just shoot like a $100 short film and invite your family and friends and have them all say you're the greatest actor ever and then say a month later, why is the phone ringing? You've got to have a bit of a game plan. And uh, and, and I think that's where the, the thing that stops people going on the game plan, I think, is just if you really want to be in it, it it's, it's the less glamorous side. You know, like everyone wants something for nothing. No one wants to work for it. And that's where I, you know, you say to me when I knew I wanted to be an actor or writer or director, I love that process. But I know there's other people that, you know, I've I've met and they're fantastic people. They just want to be famous and they don't like the idea of learning lines or, or writing and can't understand why, you know, why they're not suddenly, you know, getting the lead role in Mission Impossible. I do get the same impression and I guess as well it's not just Hollywood it's a human issue so to speak there are people out there that will love the hard work other people that won't love the hard work and I guess the results will speak for themselves if you love the difficult things then you're more likely to succeed than if you don't and then in a way you've got to find what you love even if it's hard you've got to find what you love even if it's not glamorous all the time or hardly ever really think about how little time you would spend at an event doing the press tours all those things you might be on a 10 or 12 hour flight for two or three hours worth of of conferences and interviews and press tours and things the percentages aren't that great are they well i i think the the thing is is the um even the smaller things, and I'm not sort of downplaying this, but even the idea that you can tell a story um, and getting the opportunity is, I think, a real a real luxury. I mean, if, if someone said to you, look, would you prefer to, to sort of die at the end of your life um, and hypothetically, you know, have worked a job you've hated, um, miserable, or do something you've loved, and I think it's at that point where, yeah, if you've if you've told that story, if you wanted, if you've if you have contributed to society, um, you know you're going to feel good about yourself at the appropriate time too. Um, and and you know, like I said, it, it there is the opportunity for for things to happen um, out of nowhere too. Too in the industry, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to have that business model. You know, there is some lucky breaks that happen, but it's only going to increase your chances if you've you know the business of it. I wonder what the future looks like with things like NFTs and social media, which you mentioned before. The world is changing quite rapidly. It's becoming much more digitized. And I know we mentioned streaming platforms as well. What do you see the future like? Do you see NFTs playing a part? Do you see social media playing a part, which I think will definitely say that it does play a part, given that someone might not be great at their job, but have a lot of eyeballs on it, and they're more likely to get cast, as we said before. What is the future like for Hollywood? I think everything you said. Uh, you know, I think depending on where you live in the world, your sphere of influence certainly has a little bit of a perception on, you know, what is modern and what's not. So, if, you know, you go to Dubai, 
you know, you're miles away of, of say, other parts of the world uh, with technology. Same thing with China. Um, but then you might be in a small town somewhere and, you know, the internet is still relatively everything everyone uses. So, but as far as Hollywood's concerned, look, you said it before, I think NFTs, they haven't quite taken off. And I think that's because crypto's crashed a little bit. But from the people that I know that work at some very, very big talent agents uh, and, you know, for example, some studios, they've got innovation departments. The, the benefit of an NFT is like in music, you know, you make a film and there's scenes that have been left on the cutting room floor, nothing you can do with them. You can turn them into NFTs. That's another revenue stream. You know, you can do a poster of a movie like Aquaman hypothetically uh, as an NFT that would sell for millions, you know, like that's another revenue stream for, for the studio. So yeah. as a, an extra kind of bonus in business, I think that's very much it. I, I will say though, I think the, the, the negative side of social media has been the way people consume content has changed rapidly. And it, it's not all bad, but it's just different from the idea that, you know, when people watch something now, they're usually tweeting, they're usually watching something on YouTube, tweeting on Facebook or Instagram, maybe just after that, listening to music, and they're probably texting their friends saying, hey, when when are you coming around? Like, and in the background is, is whatever they're watching. It's very hard to get someone just to watch a movie now. Um, and they're always watching on an iPad, laptop, or a phone. It's it's not really the, the, the screen. So the, the way people consume content is very different. And obviously the future, when you say, what do I think it's going to be? I think we're going to see, possibly we're going to see a lot more uh, more social media-driven content, so less than an hour and a half, um, you know, a lot shorter form. And that's probably from also people watching YouTube and seeing two-minute clips for the last three or four years. You suddenly show them a video for 30 minutes, they're going to say, oh, that's so long. Whereas 10 minutes ago, uh, 10 years ago, you know, 30 minutes was, you know, that wasn't long enough to watch a TV episode. So I think we're going to see that as well. What's the future like for you, James? Like for yourself as an actor, have you got things on the horizon? How can people connect with you and enter your world? And what have they got to look forward to? Uh, there's a few things on the runway. So I, um, one of the founding members of Mogul Productions a couple of years ago, which is a NFT based movie financing company. So very exciting things coming up with Mogul. Uh, start directing a new film in November, Skyline Mist. Uh, if all goes to plan, definitely look out for that. Keep, keep in mind, <laughs> movies take, you know, about 12 months to come out. So, uh, yeah. so please don't DM me saying, is it on Netflix next month? <laughs> uh, which I have <laughs> had before. Um, I am shooting, uh, Next month in November, actually, I have a contract to direct uh, some um, some fashion commercials, which are quite high end. And when I sort of talk about them being quite a, a good achievement, that big budget, uh, big budget shooting these. So these are really, uh, really exciting to look forward to. Uh, and just about to uh, announce a, another comedy film, um, which I can't really talk about till it's done, but that should be really fun, too. And uh, in the meantime, just uh, just writing and writing and writing. Yeah. How can people find out what about you, James, from a you know an acting standpoint? Are you on social media? Do you have websites? Yeah. Do you have things that people can check out? Probably the best one would be uh, just James underscore Pratt7 on Instagram. 
uh, or James underscore Pratt seven on Twitter. Uh, and I think my YouTube channel is James Pratt official and my Twitter, uh, sorry, my LinkedIn, sorry, my LinkedIn is uh, James Pratt seven. Yeah. So um, one of those, and yeah, if anyone listening, any questions, feedback, um, anything you like, just hit me up. I'm, I'm always open to having a chat with anyone. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. James, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. It's been great to have you on, and I look forward to keeping in touch. Michael, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and that gets the help and support from me and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you want.